Father, we come to you today in Jesus' name and Lord, agree that the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is everything. Truly, he is our life and Lord, we're asking that everything that, that is done today, Lord, the working of your Holy Spirit, the way you prepare our hearts to hear from you, uh, through the prayers, through the preaching, through the worship and the praise, the testimonies, the baptism. Lord, what a beautiful thing to see the baptism this morning. Uh, Lord, in everything, prepare our hearts. We want to hear from you. Lord, we want to see uh, just the amazing pictures, the amazing truths, uh, the amazing life that's all, that's all in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, God, help us right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Uh, Lord, help us to learn, help us to grow. But, Lord, if there's any here that does not know that Christ is their life, then I pray that today would be the day of salvation. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is a climactic chapter in your Bible. It's a very big deal. It is, I would argue, one of the most critical passages in all of Scripture. This is where the the point of everything comes into focus. And I want us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to pick it up in verse 12, but, but I want us to see this morning that our faith depends on the fact of Christ's resurrection. Okay, that's your first two blanks if you're taking notes. The, the faith that we have depends on the fact of Christ's resurrection. And this is the point that the Word of God makes here in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 12. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? I mean, some people don't believe in a resurrection at all. And that's a problem because verse 13 tells us, but if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. That's a big problem, isn't it? If there is no resurrection, then Christ is in the tomb. And if Christ be not risen, watch this, then our preaching is vain. If Christ be not risen, I have wasted my life. (laughs) Our preaching is vain, it's worthless. And your faith also is vain, it's worthless. Look at verse 15, yea, and we are found false witnesses of God. If Christ is not risen, then I am a liar. False witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. Do you see the problem? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is dead, he is in the tomb yet today. If there is no resurrection, Christ is a corpse. And what use is he to us? If Christ is still in the grave, we're liars. The preacher of the gospel is a liar. But that's not the worst part. If Christ is dead, look at verse 17. And And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Then your faith in the gospel is worthless if Christ is not raised. You remember the gospel, the terms of the gospel. You see it at the beginning of the chapter. Look at, look at verses three and four. Here's the gospel delivered. Verse three says, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that's key because when you recognize you're a sinner before God, when you recognize, when the light of scripture clicks on for you, and you recognize that your sin has ruined your life, who do you repent before? Who do you call on to be saved? 
The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 10 that the word, the gospel, it's nigh to us. The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. You can know this morning that you're born again, that you're saved. Do you know that Christ is risen? Have you believed on him in repentance over your sin and faith in the finished work of Christ at Calvary? Have you called on the name of the Lord? Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. If you don't believe that Christ is risen, you're talking to no one. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him, on Christ, shall not be ashamed. So all of that is not possible. All of that is vain. It's worthless if Christ didn't raise from the grave. Now look at 1 Corinthians 15, 17 again. And worst of all, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. And here it is. Ye are yet in your sins. You know, all of sin and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death and eternal separation from God. If Christ is not raised, there's no hope for that sin problem. Ye are yet in your sins. Look at verse 18. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If Christ is not raised, you're believing in nothing and you're following vanity and it's dumb. Dumb in life, just as now they're dumb in death. They're, they're, they fell asleep believing in Christ and it did them no good. Again, the wages of sin is still death. Romans 3.23. But listen to Romans 6.23. Here's the promise of scripture. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How's he gonna do that if he's a dead corpse? How's he gonna grant eternal life? Because if there's no resurrection, Christ is dead, and so God help us, right? Our cadaver faith then, it just stinks. It can't help us or it can't move us. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Why are we miserable if in this life we have hope in Christ? Well, I'll tell you why. The Bible says all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You're miserable because you're suffering for a corpse you're miserable because you're suffering for Christ and he's in the grave if the dead rise not. We're still dead, we're still separated from God by our sin in this life and the life to come because the wrath of God is still not satisfied. If Christ is not resurrected, that doesn't, equate the, that doesn't, that doesn't negate the fact that there's a creator God. You know there's a God because of creation. You know that there is a God because of the order and the perfection, the beauty and the majesty of creation. And so if he hasn't made a way for us to come back for our rebellion against him, we're cooked. The wrath of God is still not satisfied if the dead rise not and Christ is in the grave. But worst of all, and I think this is the thing that's hardest for me, if we have hope only, we have hope in Christ in this life, right, in verse 19, we're miserable because we realize we're stupid. I hate finding out I'm stupid. I mean, if Christ is not risen, then I'm stupid because I didn't follow the wisdom of the world. You know the motto of the world? Get for yourself what you can while you can. That's the motto of the world. Well, if there is no eternity, if there is no eternity with God, that's, that's, that's actually really good advice. 
get what you can while you can. You know the motto of the world, eat, drink, and be merry, because what? I mean, for tomorrow we die, right? Get what you can while you can. Get it for yourself. I love verse 20. You can know this. Verse 20 says, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. The oldest book in your Bible, okay? It's the book of Job. Job knew it way back then. Job had already figured it out. Look at Job 19:25. He says, I know my Redeemer liveth. <laughs> I know. For I know my Redeemer, that my de- Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. Job said, I'm going through a rough time today, but I will live again. I will be resurrected, and I will see my living Redeemer. I mean, Job knew that from the beginning. You know, Hollywood makes light. Hollywood warps that doctrine of resurrection. Go ahead and throw the picture up. This would be the way that Hollywood would try to represent the resurrection. Anytime you see it in mainstream media, the resurrection is something that you don't want. Uh, because those who come back from the grave always want to eat the rest of our brains. And that's really inconvenient. Well, that's not how resurrection works. Okay, that's a warped view of it. Just as Christ is risen from the dead, literally, physically, to eternal life, so also his followers. Listen to what God says to each of his children in Ephesians chapter one. Uh, We see it in this prayer for the church. Look at verse 17. Uh, We're praying, what, that the God of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. We're praying, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. You need to be able to see what's true. That you may know, you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. In other words, you need to know what treasure you have in the risen Lord, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. We're praying that you would see, that you would know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Christ is risen today, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come and have put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you some good news. Our faith is not in vain. It is not worthless. Our faith is not worthless because the dead do rise. The tomb is empty. Christ the Lord is risen today. Hallelujah, amen. Our faith is not worthless, and I, with all my heart, I believe the gospel. I believe every word of the Bible. The parts that I don't believe, it's just because I don't know they're there and I don't understand them. That's due to my ignorance, not to my faith. I believe every word of the Bible. I believe a flood destroyed all but those in the ark. I believe that. I believe that Israel walked to freedom through the Red Sea The water was over their heads and yet they walked on dry ground, a sea wherein Pharaoh's armies drowned. I believe that. 
I believe that Daniel spent a night unarmed with hungry lions who the next day devoured the enemies of Daniel and God. I believe that. I believe that so much, I believe that one of those lions laid down and was a nice fluffy pillow for Daniel. That's not in the Bible. But when I tell the story, I like to add that little, little bit. I think, you know, I think the one that was Daniel's pillow had the first bite of the enemies of God. I believe that Jonah lay dead three days and three nights in a whale, just like Jesus lay dead three nights and three days in a grave. I believe that Jonah, after three days and nights in the belly of a whale, afterward he was puked and then he preached. I believe that. Can you imagine being bleached for three days and then you just come rolling in to Nineveh? Just covered in whale slime. <laughs> Repent! Or in three days, right? You're going down and everybody's like, zombies, brains, repent, you know. I believe it. I believe, no, I know that Jesus is alive. Jesus does not, not only is Jesus in alive, but he is in control, y'all. Jesus is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Everything is under his feet. I believe that. He is in control. He sits today as the head over all things to the church and to me. And to you, if you know him, is he your Lord? Is he your king? Do you know him? Have you ever had the light of the gospel come to bear on your mind where you understand it? Just like our sister testified, was there ever a time where the gospel, you saw the truth, the light of the gospel, and in repentance of your sin, did you cry out in faith, believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is he your savior? Is he your, is he your redeemer? Do you know him? Or are you without hope like there is no resurrection? Are you without hope in Christ in this life and the next? Now, in verses 20 and following, we need to see the specifics and the order of the resurrection. And so here we're gonna get a little technical. Now that we know that there is a resurrection, and by the way, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the most provable events in human history. Uh, we didn't even cover any of the arguments for the resurrection of Christ in terms of logic, history, and reason. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't go there because we don't need to go there. Uh, but you're welcome to research that. There are several resources that will help you in, in discerning for yourself was the literal physical resurrection of Christ, was that an actual event in history? Um, uh, uh, Josh uh, McDowell, am I remembering the name right? Is it Josh McDowell? He wrote more than a cop carpenter. Uh, did, did I get the author right? Yeah, Josh McDowell wrote more than a carpenter, carpenter, evidence that demands a verdict, you know, those kind of, I think that was McDowell, and it's been too many years, yeah. I'm getting fuzzy on my details. Okay, so uh, there, there, are, there are people who have tread this ground. Lee Strobel's got several books on the, on the subject. Look at verse 20, but now is, notice this is present tense. Now is Christ risen from the dead. This is a thing that has happened. It's, it's factual right now. Christ is risen from the dead and become, watch this now, the first fruits of them that slept. Okay, let's start with the end of that verse. Them that slept, that is a New Testament phrase. It's New Testament terminology describing those who are dead in Christ, those who die in faith. Their, their hearts stopped beating, but they were believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, 
the way they're described biblically, it, they're not described as dead, they're described as sleeping. You say, well, they don't have a pulse. That's true. Medically, we would call them dead, but spiritually, they're no more dead than the rest of us in this room because their life isn't sourced in their body, it's sourced in the person of Jesus Christ, and that body will rise again. So whenever something, you know, have you ever heard the phrase, uh, that kid sleeps like the dead? I mean, they just lay down, pass out, and you gotta go actually check and make sure they're breathing. You know, pull an eyelid open and see if it moves, you know, that kind of thing. Is this kid alive? I can't tell you over the years how many times I'm wondering, it's really quiet, you know, and I gotta go check, and I'll lay a hand on the chest of my kid. Okay, it's moving because they're sleeping like the dead. They're asleep, we say they're asleep because we know they're gonna wake up, okay? So that's, that's the believer. We say they're asleep because the believer's corpse will wake, it will rise. So here's a key point. This is common sense, but we gotta say it. So there can be no resurrection without a death, can there? There can't be any waking without a sleep. Only a corpse can be resurrected. So what did Paul mean when he said that the risen Christ is become the first fruits of them that slept? Well, he's the first of the resurrected and the implications of this are huge, very huge, okay? And so this is what we wanna look at in the verses that follow. But understand first why. Verse 21 says, for since by man came death, how did we have death in humanity? That wasn't God's original plan for man. Why is it that we die? Why is it appointed unto man once to die and then after that the judgment? How, how, how did that happen? Well, Paul's explaining it right here in verse 21. Since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. To explain it further, verse 22, he says, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. And I know the way people generally think, okay, typically, when we're on autopilot in terms of how we assess life, uh, I know that you're the most important person to you. You're very, you know, you matter a lot to you, but what we just need to take a step back and recognize is there's really only two men in the history of the world that matter. There are only two men that actually matter to the whole of humanity. And the first man is Adam, and by extension, because Adam is the federal head right, the, the physical head of the human race. So Adam, by extension, his physical descendants, but here's the problem, he passed on to them a spiritual defect. Because Adam rebelled against God, those that were born of him have a sin nature, and so that makes us all sinners before God, and as sinners, we're all worthy of death. So it doesn't matter, in Adam, all die. The Bible is very clear. All of us in this room this morning, we're related. You can look any direction in this room this morning. And what you're gonna see is red, brown, yellow, black and white. We're all precious in his sight. But you can look in any direction in this room and you can say, physically, you can say, hey cuz, sup? And that's even if you're looking at your wife. Yes, you married your cousin. Hopefully it was a very distant cousin but you married your cousin. Because for all of us, our greatest grandfather, his name was Adam, okay? And in Adam, all die. So that man matters to humanity, doesn't it? And then there's only one other man that really matters, and that man is Christ. 
And because he is the spiritual head of the bride, he is the spiritual head of the church, by extension, his spiritual descendants, he has passed on to them eternal life. Adam passes on a spiritual defect, Christ passes on eternal life. We get his nature, he makes us children, right? We're all children before God and Christ, who is our life. So Jesus and Adam, the two men, here's the deal with Adam, Adam knowingly took on his wife's sin, but he did it in rebellion against God. He did that to be with his wife, he took on her sin, and yet his bride died. And then if you think about it, Jesus did the exact same thing, didn't he? Jesus knowingly took on the sin of his bride, but he didn't do it in rebellion against God, he did it in submission to God. And his bride lives eternally. Which man is better? The first Adam or the second? The first man or the second? See, what Paul is showing us in Adam, he's showing us Adam as a contrasting type of Christ. So you wanna get that down in your notes. Adam is, Adam should have been the perfect type of Christ and said he is for us a contrasting type of Christ. Um, I'll give you some homework right now. You can study this out for yourself, but check out verses 45 through 49. You know, you're gonna go home and you're gonna eat too much. And the pie will be the, the proverbial cherry on top of your pig out Sunday. So you're gonna need a nap. After your nap, right, you're gonna review your notes and just check out verses 45 and 49. Adam is a contrasting type of Christ. Also, let me give you a cross-reference, Romans 5, 12 through 21. Is that in your notes? Romans 5, 12 through, 25, 12 through 21. Just study that out for yourself and you'll see Adam as a type of Christ but also contrast, a contrasting type of Christ. Okay, so while the first Adam, the first man, was made from the earth, the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, came from heaven. Earth and heaven, those are your next two blanks. So while Adam comes from earth and rebels against God, thereby propagating a sin nature in the earth, Christ comes from heaven and he restores the likeness, right, that has fallen. He restores the relationship with God himself. So where the first Adam disobeyed God and brought sin and death into the world, Romans 5.12, it's by Adam, Wherefore, by as one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. So Adam first messed up, but you followed in your father's footsteps. So get this down. Death then, having been caused by a man, can only be defeated by a man. And this is a spiritual, it's a biblical, but it's a God principle. Because a man messed it up, a man has to set it straight. Uh, God refuses to just fix it himself. A man messes it up, so there is death because of sin, so now a man must set it straight. Only a man can defeat death. This is why the Lord Jesus Christ had to be one of us. What if God was one of us? Walked his dog like, okay, no. He is, God became a man. This is known as the mystery of godliness. God, Jesus Christ, fully God, becomes fully man. The Bible calls it the mystery of godliness. He had to be a man because he had to be the second Adam. He has to be a kinsman, a near kinsman to humanity, a kinsman redeemer. As a matter of fact, this is the first prophecy in the word of God 
You'll get that in Genesis chapter three and verse 15. After Adam and Eve rebel against God, they're hiding, because of their, they're hiding from God because of their sin. They're naked, they know they're ashamed. They're trying to cover up their rebellion with these fig leaves. <laughs> they're hiding. And you remember the prophecy. Uh, so the woman, she blames the serpent. And so God sorts it out in Genesis 3.15 and he says, the seed of the woman. You know what, Satan, you're gonna bruise his heel but he's gonna crush your head. Okay, that's the first prophecy in the Bible. And this is why Satan, you'll just, and we'll see this. If you're not coming on Sunday mornings, I wanna just invite you. We are, we are looking at some wild stuff in the Bible and it's all true. I mean, it's right there in the word of God and, and, uh, and you can see the origin, the beginning uh, of, of, of humanity, the beginning of this drama between God and this fallen archangel known as Lucifer and, and, and how that battle plays out on earth and in humanity. And, but you see what Satan's doing. We're gonna see this in Genesis. He's attacking the seed of the woman because that's the prophecy. He's trying to thwart it, what God promised in Genesis 3.15. We'll see it very, very largely. I mean, it's a, it's a huge I mean, you can't miss it. He's wiping out the seed of the woman in Genesis chapter six. So Christ has to be a near kinsman. And you can see the picture for that, the story for that in the book of Ruth. Uh, Here is a woman who needs children raised up in the family, right? Children raised up in the family, but her husband has died. Well, there, there needs to be a kinsman redeemer, and particularly in Ruth chapters two and three, you'll see that it had to be someone close to the family, someone related to the family that could raise up children in this dead brother's absence. So I want you to check out Revelation chapter five. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. You can't really understand what's happening here if you don't understand this concept in Ruth of a kinsman redeemer. Look at, look at Revelation five verse one. I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And then look at how verse three starts. And no man, no man in heaven nor in earth, under the earth was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. See, it had to be a man but no one was worthy. So we're cooked, what do we do? I wept much, verse four says, and I wept much because no man was found worthy to open the book, to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders said unto me, weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. See who is, he's the root of who? He's our kinsman redeemer. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, our kinsman redeemer, have prevailed to open the book and to loose the seals thereof. No man is worthy, but one man was. <laughs> Not just any man. And that's why you see in Revelation 5, you can check that out this afternoon as well. In verses nine and 10, you see the song of the redeemed. It's not the, resong- it's not the song of the observers. It's the song of the redeemed. They're giving praise because Jesus is worthy. See, where the last, where the first Adam rebelled, the last Adam obeyed the Father, and he brought righteousness and life. 
where the first Adam rebelled and brought sin, and sin is now passed upon all men, Christ brings the righteousness of God and eternal life. Christ alone lived without sin. Christ alone was able to conquer the, I mean, think about it. The wages of sin is what? Death. It is appointed unto man once to die. After that, the judgment. And if you're lucky, you die and they bring you back on an operating table. They resuscitate you, but then you just turn around and die again. So maybe, I mean, it's for sure appointed once. Some of you get two or three. And then after that, the judgment. Christ alone was able to bear our sin. He committed none of it. And he was alone able to suffer the wrath of God over our sin. That's why he was able to conquer death. The wages of sin is death. He was able to conquer death for all his people. Romans 5.18 says, therefore as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. Christ is our redeemer and as such, he is our life giver. So get this down, look at verse 23. What does the resurrection look like? What does this resurrection to eternal life, how does it happen, what's the order? Verse 23 says every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, he's the first one. Afterward they that are Christ's at his coming Okay, so what does he mean when he says Christ is risen and he's the first fruits of those that slept, those who died in faith in Christ? He's the first of the resurrected and so the implications here are very huge. So what we need is a, we just need to keep a finger here in 1 Corinthians 15 and then turn back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy 26, you need a first fruits and feast primer to understand how the resurrection is gonna work. So let's catch up to what the ancient believers knew, uh, what a Bible student should know. You wanna understand the first fruits and the feasts. Deuteronomy 6, or 26, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy 26 explains it. And so let's start reading in verse one. And it shall be, when thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance and possesseth it and dwellest therein, that thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth which thou shalt bring of the land that the Lord thy God giveth thee and shalt put it in a basket and shalt go unto the place which the Lord thy God shall choose to place his name there. And thou shalt go unto the priest that shall be in those days and say unto him, I profess this day unto the Lord thy God that I am come into the country which the Lord swear unto our fathers to give us, uh, for to give us. And the priest shall take the basket out of thine hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord thy God. And thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father and he went down into Egypt and, so, and sojourned there with a few and became there a, great, a nation, great, mighty and populous. And the Egyptians evil entreated us and afflicted us and laid upon us hard bondage. And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. And the Lord brought us forth out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terribleness and with signs and with wonders. And he hath brought us out of Egypt into this place, right? He hath brought us into this place 
and hath given us this land, even a land that floweth with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the what? The first fruits of the land which thou, Lord, hast given me. The first fruits belong to who? Oh, they belong to God. I have brought the first fruits out of the land which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And thou shalt set it before the Lord thy God and worship before the Lord thy God. And thou shalt rejoice in every good thing which the Lord thy God hath given unto thee and unto thy house, thou and the Levite and the stranger that is among you. So don't miss the picture here in Deuteronomy chapter 26. See, there was a death, burial, and resurrection where God's people in Egypt were concerned, wasn't there? Do you see it in the story? There was a death. Israel then was to bring, now that they're walking in newness of life, they're to bring the fruits, the first fruits of their harvest to God as a statement of faith shown as a fact. God, you have delivered us and given us this life. It belongs to you. It's an act of thanksgiving and worship. It's declaring that God had kept his promises to them. See, they were dead in Egypt. And you see that type. They were dead in Egypt. Romans 3.23 all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're dead in our sin. We're in the bondage of this world, the bondage of sin and death. But now they are delivered. Israel was delivered. It was a mighty work of God with a mighty hand, signs and wonders, verses seven and eight. Now they're alive, right? So there was a death, a burial in Egypt, there was a resurrection. They were brought out of the bondage of Egypt. And now they're alive, enjoying the fruit of the land. They're alive in the blessing of God in Canaan, verses 9 and 11. And so this was formalized into one of the three special feasts that Israel was to keep. And I give you the cross references there, but I'll just list them for you very quickly in Exodus 23. Exodus 23, 15. Here are the feasts that the Israelis are commanded to keep. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days as I commanded thee in the time of the month, Abib. For in it thou camest out of Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. Okay, so that's describing the Passover feast. Now, after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we call it, do we call it the Passover feast, or what, what Sunday is we celebrate Easter. That's what we do as a church. We definitely have to have a, a mess. Somebody send me a note. I'll get it in the calendar for next year. We're going to cover next year why it's called Easter. Praise the Lord. It's okay to call it Resurrection Sunday because that's what it is. But it's also Easter. And uh, we'll look at that from the Word of God. So this first feast is the Passover feast. Verse 16. What else do we keep? And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labor, the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labor. So that's the feast of first fruits. That's the beginning of the harvest. And the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. So that's the feast of ingathering or, or, ingathering, or the end of the harvest. Verse 17, three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. You see it again in Deuteronomy 16, 16, the feast of unleavened bread, feast of weeks, and the feast of tabernacles. Uh, that's you know, other names for the same, for the same uh, appearances. So every man, go back to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 23. Christ is the first fruits. So there's an order to this. Every man in his own order. Christ, 
the first fruits. Afterward, they that are Christ that is coming. How will the resurrection work? Well, Christ was the first fruits, but then there's going to be an in gathering at the coming. See, Christ is the Lamb of God. He died at Passover. So, as the presentation of first fruits, he rose from the dead three days later on the first day of the week. And when the priest presented the first fruits before the Lord, it was a sign that the entire harvest belonged to the Lord. Israel functioned as stewards. It all belongs to you. So get this down. When Jesus was raised from the dead, it was God's promise that the entire harvest belonged to him. See, we're also going to be raised one day as part of that future harvest. We're the in gathering. Are you in? On the in gathering. Just like the first fruits promise that there's an entire crop to follow, Christ's resurrection is a promise that a multitude is to follow. Christ's resurrection promises, it requires, it demands our resurrection because his resurrection is a first fruit. Do you get that? If there's a first fruit, there will be a second fruit and more fruit and much fruit, right? He is the first fruit, so there's more of the crop to follow. Christ's resurrection is part of a larger resurrection of God's redeemed. So look at verse 23 again. Notice that the resurrection order is divided into three general categories. Every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits. So Christ's resurrection makes him the first fruits of the resurrected. Afterward, they that are Christ that is coming. So verse 23 says, we're next. At the coming of Christ for his bride, we will be the afterward, the, the in-gathering. But we're taken up in three courses. First Thessalonians 4 tells us that the dead in Christ rise first. Then we which are alive and remain are caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. Exodus, or First Thessalonians 4, 23. It, it is an exodus from earth though, the rapture. It's, it's not, the rapture isn't in exodus. It's, you know, you see the picture, but okay, it's, never mind. I swap words sometimes. Okay. 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the dead in Christ rise first, then us, we which are alive and remain, and then there's another wave. After the time of tribulation, there's a third wave of those that are, that are pulled out. They're called the tribulation saints, Revelation 20. We see in Revelation 20, Satan is bound a thousand years. He can't deceive the nations during that time of Christ's rule and reign. And then verse four, Revelation 20 verse four says, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. That happened during the time of great tribulation. They were beheaded for the witness of Jesus. So a, a quick prophecy timeline. The rapture of the church prophetically is the next event. It's called an imminent return of Christ and the bride of Christ is caught away. Sometime after that, there'll be a seven-year peace treaty. It will be a false peace because in the middle of that treaty, the Antichrist will break it and he'll try to wipe out the Israeli people once and for all. Uh, so at that same time, God unleashes his wrath from heaven on earth. And, there, and at the same time, one of the greatest, well, it will be, it'll be the greatest revival in human history during the time of great tribul tribulation. Uh, in Revelation 5 and 7, you see that the multitude of people who believe on Jesus, it's not countable. It's massive. It'll be a time of great revival. 
and most of them will be butchered for their faith. Uh, the, the suffering, the persecution will be unparalleled. Uh, so they're beheaded for their faith during this time of great tribulation. Well, there's a resurrection after, after the seven years, right? I saw those that were beheaded, the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, which had not worshiped the Antichrist, they had not worshiped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Do you see that? There's a third wave of resurrection coming, and they will live and reign with Christ a thousand years. And then you actually see a fourth. The rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. So this, the Bible says, is the first resurrection. You'll see some after the thousand years are resurrected to damnation. That's at the end of Revelation chapter 20. One day there will be no place to hide. There will be a great white throne. And him that sat upon it is from his face, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was no place found for them. And Revelation 20, 12 says, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be judged according to my works. There is none good. The works of righteousness that we have done, the righteousnesses, uh, what we would call good, there is filthy rags in God's sight. I don't want to be judged according to my works. I am so glad that my works were judged 2,000 years ago at the cross of Calvary. And God com commanded, right? He pronounced a death sentence over my life, over my sin. And Christ bore it all. He suffered the wrath of God in my place. There's no hiding from that final judgment. The sea give up the dead which are in it. Death and hell deliver up the dead which are in them. Every man, right? They were judged, every man according to their works. Verse 14 says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. It is a place of eternal torment, eternal punishment. This is where those in Adam who have not received Christ, those who have refused Christ, pay the penalty for their own sin. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom of God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and all power. See, men work and every option is played and every effort is found a failure. One day, all will see. All power, all authority will submit. Everyone will see what Jesus said in John 14. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There is no way, you can't be a good person and get to heaven. You can't say, well, my works are pretty good. I'm not like other people. Oh, read the word of God. You've lied, you've stolen, you've been envious, you've had bitterness, you've had hatred, you've disrespected your parents, you've rebelled. You're a sinner before a living and a righteous and a holy God. And that sin must be damned. It must be put to death. God's not willing that any would perish. This is why he, God, became a man 
so that he could bear the sins of men. It's a life for a life. In Adam all die, in Christ, even so in Christ shall all be made. What's the word, church? Alive. We can have life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. So that's the decision on the floor this morning. Today is a day of salvation. Judgment over sin is coming. So what do we do? Humble yourself. If you, if you go, this is what people do, okay? They say, I want to, it's the spirit of Antichrist is what it is, okay? The spirit of Antichrist stands in the place of God as God showing itself that it's God. That's how it works. Well, I don't want to surrender my life to Christ right now because I've got things I want to do. Do you see the spirit of Antichrist in that? I know what God wants, but I got things I want to do right now. What are you doing? You're standing in the place of God as God. You're your own God. Okay. I have things I want to do right now. Later. Later. I'll, I'll give my life to Christ later. I'll, I'll repent of what I'm doing later. You know you, you don't have the promise of tomorrow, right? Life is a vapor. You're here one moment, you're gone the next. There may not be a later, there may not be a tomorrow. This is why the Bible says it's salvation is today. Today is the day of salvation. We repent and call on the Lord while it's called today um, because there is no promise of tomorrow. See, if you meet God outside of the finished work of Christ at Calvary, then you have to pay the penalty for your sin. This is why Psalms 2.11 says, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little bit. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. Can I just point you back to the top verse in this list? God is not willing that any would perish. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have Jesus everlasting life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I'd like us to bow our heads and close our eyes and humble ourselves right now. And please, only the worship team moving. Is there anyone here that would say, Pastor, please pray for me because I don't think Christ is my life. I don't think I've been born again. Jesus I've never come to the place where I know that I've known that Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I don't know that I believed on him. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Can I see your hands? Is there anybody like that in this first service? I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'll be resurrected to eternal life. I don't know that Christ is my Lord and Savior. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Would you raise your hand? I wanna pray for you. Is there anyone like that in this first service? Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? Please, Pastor. Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Please pray for me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Yes, sir. I see it. I don't know that I'm saved. We've had several raise their hand. Anybody else? I don't know that Christ is my Lord and Savior, and that, that, that's got to get resolved. Pastor, please pray for me. Anyone else? Okay, I'm going to pray, and then I, man, I, would, I just want to invite you to come meet with us. Let's get the Bible open, okay? And you can leave today knowing that your life is surrendered to God, that in repentance of sin, 
you've believed on Christ, he bore that sin at Calvary, he, he died suffering the wrath of God in our place, he rose again on the third day so you could call on him in repentance. God, look at my life. <laughs> Forgive my sin. Come into my heart and life, Lord Jesus, save me. And he'll do it. <laughs> you can be born again, the Bible says. The, the first Corinthians, second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17 says you can walk out of here a new creature in Christ. Your old life has passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, to be born again. Father, you see the hands. Lord, you see 